Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's look to God in prayer. Father, our eyes now turn to you. We turn from the world that has distracted us, our anxieties that have frightened us, Lord, and we turn to you, our shepherd, our savior, our comforter, our teacher, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 24, verse 49. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten. After that she shall go. And he said, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. Now, In our last study, we looked at the remarkable statement here that Laban and Bethuel made in response to Eliezer's speech when they said in verse 50, you remember, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. We saw the impact of their statement when they said the thing proceedeth from the Lord when we considered what that word thing is, what thing that thing is. <laughs> okay, do anybody remember? What was the Hebrew word for the word thing there? Debar. So the Hebrew word translated as thing in verse 50, when he said, the thing proceeds from the Lord, is the word debar. And in verse 42, when it says, and the damsel and ran and told them of her mother's house, these things, that's the word debar. And in verse 66, when the servant told Isaac, all things that he had done, which we're going to come to, that's the word debar. See, it's the same word, and it was translated as errand, as we saw in verse 33, where he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand, and he said, speak on. See, it's the same word that's used over and over again. In verse 9, the word matter is the word debar, when it says the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning that debar that matter. The same word translated as words in verse 30, where it says, it came to pass that when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, when he heard the words, the debar of Rebekah, his sister, saying, thus spake the man to me, and so forth. And in verse 52, where it says, again, the words, it says, it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, their debar, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. 
This is this word that's used all these times, seven times in this chapter here, and it's translated thing, things, errand, matter, words. It's debar. And what's so valuable for us is that this is a very important word in the Bible, and what this chapter is really all about is about this debar, this great debar. And from this chapter, we can get an understanding of what the word debar means. The book of Deuteronomy, as we saw, it's all about debar, God's debar. God's, in fact, that's the Hebrew name that they give for the book of Deuteronomy. It's debar, debarim. It's this same word. And so what did we say it meant last lesson? Debar, issue, critical issue, a matter, important matter. So was the finding of a bride for Isaac a critical issue? Was that an issue? It was a big issue. You know, Lots of drama around this chapter, folks. Lots of angst here. And finding a bride for Isaac was a very critical issue because God's promise of his people through which the Messiah would come to save from sin, all contracted down to one little fellow named Isaac. This little fellow needed a little wife and in order for this to happen. So finding a bride for Isaac was a critical issue for Abraham. It was a critical issue for Eliezer. But finding a bride for Isaac was a critical issue for God. And that's what Laban and Bethuel realized in verse 50, and that's the importance of verse 50, is when the verse 50 for Laban and Bethuel is all of a sudden, the light came on. The light came on, and they see, oh, we see. We see the point. The point is not finding a bride for Isaac is not a critical issue for Abraham and Eliezer, but now we see that finding a bride for Isaac is a critical issue. It's a debar with God. That's what it means when they said, the thing proceeds, the debar proceeds from the Lord. Because now they understand that it's a critical matter with God. And we're stressing this point because what we're seeing here is the importance in this chapter of an illustration or a teaching for what the meaning of debar is. Because it's an essential word. This is a, a chapter that starts out with a lot of drama and a lot of tension as Abraham makes Eliezer put his hand under his thigh and swear to him to get the right bride for Isaac. And all that drama and that tension, it shows how critical this Debar issue is and the importance of it. And the chapter then continues with still lots of drama, lots of tension at the well with Rebecca, and then it goes on with more drama, more tension with the not eating and the speech that has to be given, and then the pressing for the decision, and the drama and the tension is, is not finished there, as we're going to see. So all this drama, all this tension that's throughout this chapter, it's illustrating for us the criticality of the Debar issue, the importance of the Debar matter. And so from this chapter, what we really see is this criticality, this importance of Debar matter, it's like life and death. And that's what's so important about this chapter because the word Debar is used 1,446 times in the Bible. And that doesn't even include the verb form. And the word Debar is translated out of those times 808 times as the word word or words. The Bible is all about God's Debars. In Psalm 119, the word debar appears 20 times in familiar verses that we know, like Psalm 119, verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy debar, to thy word, to thy critical issue. 
See, Psalm 119, verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy debar, thy word, those critical matters. 119, verse 25, my soul cleaveth unto the Lord. Quicken thou me according to thy debar, thy critical issues. Psalm 119, verse 42, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy debar, critical matter. Psalm 119, verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, in thy debar, in thy word hath quickened me. Psalm 119, verse 74, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy debar, in thy word. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy debar, thy word is settled in heaven. And verse 105, thy word, thy debar is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word, thy debar. Verse 114, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word, thy debar. And verse 160, thy word, thy debar, is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And verse 169, let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy debar. These are just some of the 20. The Bible is all about God's debars, his critical issues. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Who, and here's how I'm leading the answer when I say who, who is the embodiment of God's debar, his critical issue, his critical matter? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the book of John was translated back into Hebrew, because I believe it was likely written first in Hebrew because they didn't speak Greek. But anyway, when the book of John was translated into Hebrew in John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, that's the word that they chose in Hebrew, debar. In the beginning was the debar. In the beginning was God's critical issue, was God's critical matter to communicate. And then when it says, when it's translated in John 1.14, where it says, and the debar was made flesh. God's critical issue was made flesh. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is God's ultimate debar. It's his critical issue. It's what he wants to communicate, ultimate. All authorities in him, all powers in him, all things were made by him and for him, and all judgment is done by him, and all salvation is also done by him as well. See, he is God's ultimate critical matter. Everything is in Jesus, and Jesus is everything. This is why Genesis 24 is so important because this word appearing here seven times, it helps us to have an illustration of what this word means. So now we know the Bible is all about God's debars. And now that we've been enriched with this illustration in Genesis 24, we can understand how critical and important God's debars are in the Bible. And that's what we're really seeing here. So as soon as Eliezer hears that they understood that this debar of Rebekah becoming Isaac's wife was God's debar, then we see, we saw here, how Eliezer puts his head on the ground to worship the Lord. That's so significant. He puts his head on the ground. It's such such an amazing thing. In verse 52, it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. See, what he did in verse 52, was so spontaneous. It's like he couldn't do anything but worship as soon as he heard that God had moved their hearts of Laban and Bethuel to understand that this was God's issue. And this shows us something about Eliezer because it shows us he was really a happy man, Eliezer, in his life. I mean, it was happy because 
when you kind of trace here, we're walking with Eliezer in this chapter. That's the only time in the Bible we're gonna walk alongside him here. That's what we're doing. And what we really see as we walk with him is how this really in his life and here is like an adventure with him. He doesn't know what's gonna happen next. He kind of gets surprised as he's going along. But it's an adventure with God. And these new obstacles, they come like he, all of a sudden there's a new obstacle. Who told him there was gonna be this dominating brother obstacle or a mother? Well, a Jewish mother we can understand, but anyway. <laughs> but, you know, they got this here. And what we've seen with Eliezer is that he just prays his way through every one of these obstacles. He prays his way through every obstacle. He didn't let the obstacles in life here take his eyes off the Lord. You know, that's the great temptation. When we face obstacles in life or when we're under attack from various fronts. You know what our temptation is? Our temptation is to say, well, you know, I'll do God later, but right now I got to do my defense. I got to figure out my first priority is to defend myself. I got to think, what is my next move? And what happens is that we tend to take the problem into our own hands rather than to spend time taking the problem to God in prayer. And King David has a word to describe when we do this and let this pressure take our eyes away from God. And that is found in Psalm 119, verse 157, where David now, he says, many are my persecutors and mine enemies. There's two, he had persecutors and he had enemies. And then he says, yet do I not decline. He says, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. That's an interesting word. See, in that verse, David clarifies that he had all these persecutors, he had all these enemies, and like us, he felt the pressure of it all. He felt the pressure to take his eyes off of God and his word, and that pressure to take his eyes off of God and off of his word and put his eyes on his enemies, David said, if I yield to that pressure and take my eyes off of God and his word and put my eyes on my enemies, he said, that will be my decline. He said, that's the word. That would be my decline. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. So he resolved, David resolved, that when he was under this attack and under this pressure, that he would not decline, but rise up by keeping his eyes on God and his word. That's what Eliezer did. And so as soon as he saw here with Laban and Bethuel that he's got an answer, there's this like childlike spontaneity to him. He responds with worship. And when he bows there, in worship, we see he's kind of a happy person because he's praying always, and when he sees God's answers to his prayer, he's giving thanks always, and it's as if in his life, you could say Eliezer, he's just kind of looking for opportunities to give God thanks and worship him. He's creating these situations, praying a lot, and then when you see God's answer to prayer, then he's right away, he's giving thanks to God, and he's worshiping, it makes him happy. It's an example for us. It's an example for us in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, as we saw, rejoice evermore. How, how are you going to rejoice evermore? Like Eliezer, are you going to look for God's answers to prayer? It says rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. Ceasing, see? He prays without ceasing, and he says, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he prays, and he sees. When he sees, he rejoices, and then he worships, gives thanks. Now, after he worship, worships then, we see what he does next. In verse 53, the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment, gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and her mother precious things. We can hear Laban saying, finally. 
But here we see Eliezer, and he's so gladly giving these gifts. You know, you really have the sense that, you know, it really looks like Eliezer here, he's been anxious to give these gifts. You know, Laban says, finally, and Eliezer says, finally, you know, he really wants to do this. It's an elaboration here in verse 53. You know, they talked about the silver and the gold and the raiment and the precious thing. It's like Christmas, you know, (laughs) and it's got a bag and he's pulling out one gift after, oh, here's a silver, here's some gold, you know, here's something nice to wear. And then comes out precious things for her brother, Laban, and her mother, Bethuel. Now, by the way, we see these two uh, prominent people here, Laban and Bethuel, and conspicuous by his absence, her father, you know, we don't know what happened. Maybe he died, or maybe he was away on a business trip. I don't know. But anyways, he's just not there. So this scene of Eliezer being so generous, he's not stingy at all. I mean, giving all these gifts, it reminds us, it's a picture of just how generous our God is. He loves to give gifts. He's very happy, as the Lord Jesus Christ said about the Father. He said, Heavenly Father is generous, is what he says. And in fact, he says, the Lord Jesus says, we should be like our heavenly father in how generous he is. And he says this in Matthew 5.45 when he said that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So what that represents for us in Matthew 5.45 is really the first of four commands where we are commanded to be like the Father, to be like our Heavenly Father. We are commanded to be like God. So this is the first one. It says, you should be like your Heavenly Father. It says, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. And this is it, that he sends, it says that he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth his reign on the just and on the unjust. So in this verse, we're commanded to be like our Heavenly Father by being generous to everyone, especially to include the evil and the unjust people as well. You'd be like that, he says, then you're like your Heavenly Father. That's the first command of how we are to be like our Heavenly Father. The second command of how we're to be like our Heavenly Father is found in Luke 6, 35 through 36, Luke 6, 35, 36, where he said, but love ye your enemies. He said, by love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. That's something. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. So in this verse, this second command, we are commanded to be like our heavenly father by loving our enemies. And then he elaborates in three ways that we express our love to our enemies. First, we do good to them. Do good to your enemies. Do good to our enemies. Second, we lend money, our money to our enemies, even though we know there's very little likelihood they'll pay us back. We all have friends like that. And third, he says, be merciful to your enemies. So those are three tangible ways. Do good to them, lend them money, and be merciful to them. And that's all encompassed in that second command of how we are like to be like our Heavenly Father. The third command of how we are to be like our Heavenly Father is found in Ephesians 
4.32, which is the last verse in the chapter 4, and then it carries through to the next verse, which is Ephesians 5.1. So it's Ephesians 4.32 through Ephesians 5.1, where it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. See, in this verse, we're commanded to be like our Heavenly Father by treating believers well. Again, and then he gives three ways about how we treat believers well. He says, first of all, be kind one to each other. Second, be tender-hearted, be understanding, have a soft heart, show a little milk of kindness, you know, to each other. And then third, forgiving to each other. And he says, if we do this, then we'll be like our Heavenly Father. The picture that we see here of Eliezer showering these gifts on Rebecca and her family, that's a picture of how God showers his gifts on us. And when we read in verse 53 about, it says this word, the precious things. He gives precious things. That's the Hebrew word, migdana, migdana. And it comes from the same root as meged. And, and Moses wrote about these precious things in Deuteronomy 33. And in this chapter, Deuteronomy 33, Moses knows that he's going to soon die. He knows that he's about to check out of this earth. And he's going to die soon. So in Deuteronomy 33, he says, okay, now I'm going to go. I'm going to die. So I'm going to bless each of the tribes of Israel. That's what he does. And so when he gets to the tribe of Joseph, he begins to speak about the, the precious things that God has given And he says in verses 13 through 16 of Deuteronomy 13 through 16, he says, and of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord be his land. So now he's going to talk about Joseph's land. And then he says, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon. And for the chief things of the ancient mountains and the precious things of the lasting hills. And for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof. And for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. So in these verses, Moses is leading Israel to think about the precious things from God. Moses could have wrote this hymn, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. That's what he's doing here. And he's speaking about precious things from heaven. You know, the dew that falls at night and waters the ground and the rain, which we got yesterday. Wasn't that wonderful? Those are precious from God, as precious from God. And then Moses refers then next to how precious the waters are that are under the earth. And they just come up with a spring. They just spring right up there. So, yeah, speaking of water... I don't know, this distracted me. I thought it was a cat. I thought, what's he doing in here? And then he refers to the precious things the sun brings forth, like the fruit on the trees and the vegetables and the grass that the cattle eat. So much grass in Africa. You know. And then he, Moses refers to the precious things that the moon brings forth. You know, the moon. I mean, I remember one time I was traveling with my friend Avi in Israel, and we were driving to Caesarea, and we stopped, and there was this field, and he pointed out to me this flower. I've never seen a flower like this. He said, it's closed during the daytime, and then the moonlight makes it open. That's precious. Moses refers to these precious things. Then the hills, like the gold and the silver... 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Start 2017 off right at Sunday Night Church. Join Bible teacher Tom Cantor on New Year's Day for evening worship at the Friendship with God Fellowship Services located at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Sunday, January 1st, it's the first day of the new year, but also the last day of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. To commemorate Hanukkah, we'll have a menorah lighting, amazing soft guignot desserts, latkes, Hanukkah music, history of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah dreidel games and more. Our food and dessert fellowship starts at 4.30 p.m., and then 5.30 p.m., we'll hear an inspiring New Year's Bible message from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. If you're not in San Diego, you can live stream services and watch messages at friendshipwithgod.org. Celebrate 2017 and the last night of Hanukkah with dreidels, drinks, desserts, and more on Sunday evening worship with Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship located at the Creation and Earth History Museum on Woodside Avenue North in Santee. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.